Going Linux, episode 381. Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want to send us feedback, our email address is goinglinux at gmail.com and our voicemail line is 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Well, Bill is off today. Actually, he's working today, so he's not available to record. But we have lots of listeners' feedback to keep us company, so let's get right into that. Raymond commented on Zorin. I used Zorin, probably three years ago, on a netbook before I was using Linux regularly. I've been thinking about trying it again since your last podcast. Well, give it a try, Raymond. Let us know how it goes. Craig has some topic suggestions. Greetings. Please consider these resources for discussion as they relate to online privacy concerns. And he has a list of suggested resources, which we will include in the show notes. The first is for video search and privacy tools. The next is finding videos that are not on YouTube. And the third one is PT, P-E-T-E-Y, vid, PT vid. And the title of the article says, Meet PT vid, a coder and his cat. Take on video search. Hmm. Okay, well, that sounds interesting. We'll have to dig into that a little bit more. Thanks, Craig. Ken commented on Zorin. Bill, you got me all excited with your good review of Zorin. I may have to try it. Even the $39 Ultimate. At their website, it appears at first that you can only get the Ultimate version. It took a little digging to find out that you could get Core for free and other interesting fact that they are coming out with a light version that will also run on 32-bit machines. I just did an old laptop, 32-bit, with Lubuntu, but Zorin Lite sounds like it might be better. When I searched with different keywords, I came up with a page that had all versions listed across the top. And yes, Lite isn't coming. It's here. I'm certainly going to try it soon, maybe on a newish Asus thin laptop. Anyway, wanted to let you know that you have to dig a bit to get to the core free version. Thanks for all y'all do. Ken, KB4XT, running FT8 on my Mint 19.2 desktop. Yeah, the Zorin site, as with many uh, software suppliers that sell something and provide a free version of it, it's often difficult to find the free version because they want you to purchase the full price version. But yeah, dig a little bit and you'll be able to find it without too much trouble. Later, Ken wrote back, Bill, Bill, Bill. Uh, 
I downloaded it and installed it. So far, there's absolutely nothing that I like about it. The applications that are available, pressing the Zorin button offered nothing that I would normally use, and the other already installed software like LibreOffice is not readily available. I had to go to the software installer, check for installed software, then open it there. I can find no way to move these installed apps to the main menu either. Grrr. Highlighting a menu item doesn't give you the information bubble telling what it is, and I did not recognize most of the apps under the Zorin menu. Synaptic Package Manager has to be installed. I am a ham. Many of the radio applications are located there and not in the software installer that comes with Zorin. Then it still wouldn't be accessible from the Zorin menu. I tried several of their menu formats with no improvement. I could find no way to edit the menu. The above is just for starters. Fortunately, I installed it on my test machine. I was going to use it on my new Asus laptop. Not now. I'll work with it a bit more, but I don't see much future for it. My main Linux distribution is Mint. I have tried Ubuntu Mate, which is nice, but so far I prefer Mint. I have browsed a number of other distros lately and found none that really skunked me like this one. Thanks for all that you and Larry do. Ken, KB4XT. Ken, I am really uh, sad to hear that Zorin didn't work out for you. I did notice that there are a few things in Zorin that don't work the way they do in other Ubuntu distributions or Ubuntu-based distributions. Um, one of the things that you pointed out is that Zorin has a selected list of applications that are provided with the system and in their software center that they use, which I believe is the Ubuntu Software Center. Uh, I think that it's more like Ubuntu Mate in that it's a curated list as opposed to the full list of everything that's visible or available in the Ubuntu Software Center. And Synaptic gives you access to the full list of software available in that archive. So yeah, in the free version of Zorin, you need to install the Synaptic Package Manager. That's true. In the paid version, it's installed by default, along with a lot of other stuff. So what I'm thinking is the things that you're looking for that weren't installed by default, that in Bill's review of Zorin Ultimate seem to be installed, that's what's going on there. You're using the free version and... Bill's review it was of the ultimate version. As far as the menu editing is concerned, I didn't actually try that on Zorin, but what I know is that generally speaking, if you right-click over the main menu item, in this case the Zorin menu button, uh, it will give you an option to edit the menus. It's possible that uh, Zorin doesn't provide that because that's not necessarily something that comes with every Linux distribution. However, I did find that installing any package using sudo apt install or installing from the package manager did put that application in the menu pretty consistently for me. So I'm not sure what is going on with yours. Um, 
But certainly because the free version of Synaptic is a little hampered in terms of everything that the Ultimate version provides, some of what you're experiencing is to be expected. Not the menu thing, though. You should be able to edit a menu, and when you install something, it should automatically go into the menu. Maybe that's a bug, and if you do continue to use Zorin and you find that consistently, it might be worthwhile filing a bug for them. All right. Michael asks about getting computer specifications. Hi, Larry and Bill. How do you create a file for system resources in Ubuntu Mate? I am currently running Ubuntu Mate 19.04. I can get to the system monitor, which shows me the name of my computer and possibly other important system information, but I cannot just copy and paste the information into a file, and there doesn't appear to be a menu to be able to do it either. Such information might be important if I were to purchase a new computer in the future. For example, if I become a new customer purchasing a new PC from Entroware. All the best, Michael in West Yorkshire. Well, Michael, in the past we've talked about how to create a file that gives you a list of all the applications you've got installed, but I don't think we've given any direction on how to get a list of your system specifications into a file so that you can use it elsewhere. So you can use a program called INXI. It's a command line application. And up until 20.04, which is the yet-to-be-released next version of Ubuntu Mate, it's installed by default on Ubuntu Mate, and it's available in the Ubuntu software library. And if you don't have it on the version of Linux that you're using, just try, if you've got an Ubuntu version, sudo apt install inxi, I'll pronounce it, I-N-X-I, that should install it if you don't already have it. And then at the command line, if you just type INXI-F, and that's a capital F, it will give you a fairly full version of the specifications of your computer on the screen. If you want to have it in a file that you can use, let's say a file named specifications.txt, then the command would be INXI space dash capital F space greater than greater than space specifications.txt. That command will create a file named specifications.txt in the folder where you run the command. It will have more detail than the system monitor provides. So, Michael, let us know if that gives you what you need. Thanks. All right, John in Dallas has no internet, or at least he didn't when he wrote us this email. Haven't had to ask for help in some time, but this problem has me stumped. In Ubuntu 18.1, it will not allow Firefox or Chromium internet connectivity, though I can do updates, but nothing else. Why? Another thing, in searching the web, I can't copy and paste from Mate, which works okay in VirtualBox, but Control-Paste doesn't work, and Control-Shift won't work either. I certainly can't write all these pseudo commands and try them. Copy-paste is so useful. Why won't it work? All my distros are running in VirtualBox as always. 
Mate works fine, no connectivity issues, just Ubuntu 18 won't allow the internet, but it must be working or I couldn't do updates, right? Thanks for help or suggestions. John in Dallas. So I'm thinking this is a virtual box issue. Since the main operating system on your computer that you're running VirtualBox on does seem to have connectivity to the internet, and since you can get software updates, it's possible that either there's a VirtualBox internet connectivity issue, in other words, the pass-through for your Wi-Fi or wired internet connection is corrupted or has become damaged in some way, or perhaps you inadvertently changed the settings on it. And I would just double check that. Uh, another possibility is to create a new VirtualBox image just temporarily and run live media in there just as a temporary test to see if you do have some internet connectivity there. Check out Firefox on that. And see if there's something going on with your VirtualBox. Other than that, I'm not sure what could cause that kind of a problem. Uh, maybe VirtualBox itself has become corrupted or a recent update has caused an issue. Either way, John, um, let us know how it goes. And if anyone of our minions has some suggestions for John as to what he might look at, Please write in and let us know so we can pass that on to John. Lee suggests Farron OS. Bill should try Farron OS. It's based on Linux Mint with the Cinnamon desktop. I've used it for a while and it is my daily driver. I used to distro hop and I believe this is the distro that I will be sticking with. Lee, I'm glad you found one that works for you and I like the Cinnamon desktop a lot. Uh, this might be something I want to try out as well, but... Lee, thanks. Highlander provided an interesting story about a small rebellion. Hello, I remember working for a tech company recently. One of the rules was not to use the company computers for personal business. I figured they were monitoring their network and their operating system for this kind of use of company assets. And so here goes my personal small rebellion. I put an operating system onto a flash drive and then used my broadband Wi-Fi hotspot from my smartphone to provide access to the internet. I booted the company laptop to my USB, which had my choice of an operating system on it, Kali Linux Weekly. Then I used the Wi-Fi from my smartphone to access the internet. One morning before work was scheduled to begin, my supervisor saw me accessing my personal email from the company laptop. I saw him also looking at me, but he turned around and walked away. I knew he would be back sometime later to check on the laptop and network to see exactly what I was up to. A little over a day later, he stopped by to check on the company laptop and network, trying to snoop and see what I was up to. Unfortunately for him, there was nothing there for him to see. There were two key reasons for this. One, I did not use the operating system that was on his hard drive. And two, I did not use his network to access my email. Enjoy the story. Highlander. Yes, those are two things you can do to get around the issue. Um, I think I would have been inclined to just check my email on my phone. But hey, <laughs> uh, great use of Linux to bypass the company policies. I'm 
not sure I would recommend doing that. And moving on. Kelvin wrote to tell us that paying for an SSL certificate should never happen. Now, this is related to my comments in a previous episode about having to purchase SSL certificates because my website service provider requires that you go through them for it. Hello, I have been managing a website that is hosted by GoDaddy, not my choice. I am also frustrated by hosting that does not provide free Let's Encrypt certificates, but rather wants to charge for SSL certs instead. The workaround I have found is www.freessl.tech. That's T-E-C-H. It is a PHP app that is installed on your hosting server. While GoDaddy does not allow automatic certificate updates, I am able to manually install updated certs every three months without much hassle. Okay, that's a link that will go into the show notes for sure. And now that I've already paid for this, I think I'm just going to stick with it for now. But thanks for the suggestion. If I change my mind, at least I'll have that link. And if anyone else is challenged with the same issues, that is uh, possibly a good, valuable resource. George wrote about episode 380, Going Windows podcast, he titles it. I realize this is an audio invitation for Windows users to try Linux. That shows how long it's been since I needed to make a boot stick on Windows. I used www.liveusb.com, which became abandonware in 2015. It was easy, reliable, and even fun. Possibly it still works, but I have no current way to test. Max, I don't know, especially now that some Mac hardware support is being added to the kernel. And he provides a link to a Pharonix article about Linux, finally, MacBook Pro key touchpad. And then he adds, Apple isn't helping for sure. T2 security slash SSD controller blocks Linux is a quote that he pulls out from uh, an article. And he says, Catalina isn't friendly to Unet Bootin with a link to an article on GitHub about that. The following is from an article about Microsoft using Cortana to extract personal data from Outlook and Office 365. I'm assuming this paragraph is from the TechSpot article that he provided us, which we will have a link to in the show notes. It says, remember that one of Microsoft's biggest efforts over the last several years has been the development of what it calls the Microsoft Graph a collection of data about an individual user's productivity habits, documents, device usage patterns, and virtually every aspect of his or her working life that can be gathered. By leveraging the graph data in an intelligent way, the AI-powered capabilities driving Cortana should have a very rich data set from which to learn. A little bit scary there. Finally, Joshua provided a review of Bitwarden. I'm a longtime listener of the show and recently jumped on the password manager bandwagon. This will be a very one-sided review. Searching only for open source software password managers, I came across two that seemed worth a look. The first was Encryptor, E-N-C-R-Y-P-T-R, and the second, Bitwarden. 
Before using a password manager, I was one of those people that memorized one really good one, then used it for everything. Now, every website is different. Using the maximum allowed size, garbled, random, and never-to-be-memorized password. Bitwarden can be used freely, forever, according to the website, or cost you $11 a year. It's highly functional without the fee, though. Purchasing the annual version added better or different, can't tell which yet, two-factor login ability, and the option to add certain passwords to groups that can be shared. I'm using Duo Security from Cisco Two-Factor Authentication, which is part of the $11 fee. It's a separate app on my smartphone. I didn't realize this before, but many sites that use two-factor authentication allow more than one way to use it at the same time. All sites I use sent a text to my phone. On the iPhone, you can select the dialog box for the code, and a banner will pop up that can be clicked to auto-transfer the texted code to the dialog without switching to check your messages. On the other hand, if I'm in a big brick or concrete building that gets zero cellular connectivity, then I can select to use third-party two-factor authentication instead and use a code from the Duo Security app. Multiple paths to two-factor authentication are very nice. Bitwarden also has the ability to bring existing passwords from browsers into it so that you don't have to type them all individually. Wish I'd looked into that before I typed 97 of them in. Next, he writes, smartphones are easy. Bitwarden works perfectly on smartphones. I use an iPhone, so in iOS, I don't have an Android phone, but other people say it's good too. You can go to settings, passwords and accounts, autofill passwords, then disable Apple's proprietary password manager keychain and enable Bitwarden. The word password will pop up for any website requesting a login and you can set it to auto-populate security info and continue to the site. Browsers are easy. Bitwarden has an extension for all the popular browsers I've heard mentioned on your show. If you are logged into Firefox and have installed the extension into one instance of it, then it will also auto-load the extension on any computer you're logged into on the browser, instantly giving you access to your logins. Thankfully, you do have to type your password to the extension each time you close and reopen the browser. This works especially well at work. My company uses Firefox but won't allow installing any extensions. I can log into Firefox, though, which auto-loads the Bitwarden password extension and lets me log into my sites at home. Even if, for some reason, the admin locked this down at your company, you can log into Bitwarden website through another tab and have access to everything just as easily, except you'd have to copy and paste name and password instead of just selecting it from the browser extension. If you install the extension into Google Chrome, when you log into Chromium on your Raspberry Pi, it will auto-load the extension there as well. I've purposely disabled and deleted all password info and form-filling functionality from any browser and phone I use so that Bitwarden is the only manager. For me, it's only worth it because it works on everything, and I'm not stuck having to use a specific computer or browser on a specific computer to autofill security information. 
um, Encryptor. Well, all the really good stuff I love about Bitwarden, Encryptor doesn't do that. But it is open source, and if you use it, then you are supporting open source software. So there's that. Encryptor can be downloaded as an app for Android and iOS and installed on a Linux machine. I used apt and installed it from the Ubuntu repository. But you have to open the application, find the password from the list, and manually copy and paste it for everything. Really, the only thing it does is sync itself to everything. Okay, one good thing to say about it, I have a really old iPad that doesn't support Bitwarden, but does support Encryptor, so technically I could use it on really old iPads if I really wanted to. Hopefully this is useful and makes sense. Joshua. Thanks, Joshua, for the review. And it appears that Bitwarden seems to have a lot more functionality than Encryptor. And thanks for making us aware of both, because I'm sure some people will prefer one over the other. And it looks like Bitwarden, even the free version, is very, very functional and useful. So thanks. And that looks to be the end of our emails for this time. Our next episode will be a user experienced episode as always. And until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast community at community.goinglinux.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.